Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, for today I I ask that you deliver people from condemnation, from uh, self-justification, from uh, fearing of that their works don't measure up, um, everything except willful disobedience, Lord. We know that there's condemnation on that. Thank you, Father, for doing that today in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to call this uh, Salvation is Not by Self-Works. And first revelation I'm going to share is from Tiana Fire, one one twenty three. Smitten but not destroyed. Amen. I saw a woman on her elbows and knees on the ground in sorrow and grief in physical and spiritual pain. This woman, we believe, represents the corporate body of Christ who are faithless and hopeless in uh, the apostate church. Many are under condemnation. I uh, felt She was going through trials and tribulations and giving in to her soul and flesh rather than allowing her spirit man to be in control. Rather than believing the word and walking by faith, she was giving in to her physical sight and feelings of pain and suffering. And uh, she gives uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 from the NENT. That's an American English New Testament uh, They both, Tiana and her husband, used the N-E-N-T, which is good. Um, For we walk through faith and not through sight. This is true. And uh, I would say, too, uh, Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. And living after the Spirit, of course, is to believe what the Spirit tells you about yourself, your situation, and what Jesus did for you as far as his sacrifice. I then saw in the Spirit demons around this woman pushing her down and hitting her. And although she was humbled on the ground, the demons were constantly hitting her because she was letting the demons attack her and not casting them off. She was unknowingly giving the devil power over her through her faith in the devil and the curse. Okay, Ephesians 4 and 27, neither give place to the devil. Mm -hmm. I felt the Lord was allowing this to happen to get her to a place where she will use her faith to walk in authority and in the Spirit. Yes, many people are beaten down because they've got their eyes on themselves and not on the Lord and not on what He said He did at the cross. 
And uh, it can continue until people repent and be justified by faith. So sometimes the Lord allows us to be backed into a corner by the devil so that when we have nothing left to lose, we can come out swinging and fighting. And this is unfortunate, but oftentimes the case because many Christians um, are either ignorant or spiritually lazy, uh, we have to be faithful to use that authority that he gave us. As I've said so many times, if you don't fight, you will lose. I'm talking about in the spirit realm, too, not talking about in the physical realm. And uh, she gives Luke 10 and 19. Lo, I have given you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Yes, indeed. And also, I might add, Galatians 3 and 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. So we know the Lord bore the curse. He bore the sin, and he bore the curse that comes with the sin. And if you don't believe that, you will get beat up by the devil. I felt that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, she said, and, and God was allowing the demons to do to her what she was permitting them to do. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, Only human temptation hath take, overtaken you. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make also the way out, that you may be able to endure it. We know what the way out is. The way out is stand your ground, confess your sins, believe that they're taken away, as the Bible says, and then go after the devil, go after the demons that are tormenting. Of course, forgive everyone while you're at it. We do everything for babies. But as they get older, they are expected to do it for themselves. And also, uh, we see in Job, the Lord allows Satan to try us in order to show us our hidden faults and also bring us into spiritual maturity. She said, I then saw Jesus walk over to her and without any effort pull a demon off of her and throw it far away behind him. And then the other demons fled. He then got down on her level and uh, grabbed her head and, and stood her up. Her hand, excuse me, and stood her up. <laughs> so just as in the parable of the prodigal son, the father ran to meet him where he was and brought him the rest of the way home. Amen. So if we cry out to God and turn to him, he will help. She was comforted and strengthened in faith and boldness, and he wiped away the tears from her eyes, which reminds him us of uh, Revelation 21 and 4. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The first things are gone. Well, we are new creations in Christ, and uh, the old things have passed away, and all things have become new. We are to believe that. Okay. 
And then this one we call the keys of the kingdom are useless if we don't use them. And this was given to Deb Horton, 12, 25, 22. Recently, we've been having an adventure here in the RV campground with this historically cold weather and have lost our water due to it being frozen, so I haven't been able to cook. And Willard and I are also among the unwashed masses. <laughs> I believe this is uh, symbolic of the water of the Word being frozen in people's lives. While our water was frozen, the Lord gave me this dream. Yeah, well, also, and as we will see, people have been cold towards God's Word. It has become frozen and ineffective in their lives. So she says, In extreme dim light, almost complete darkness, I saw the biggest, most massive key ring you can imagine, and it was loaded to the gills with all different kinds of keys, practically layers of keys. The keys were various kinds of metal. Some looked extremely old and had surface oxidation because of their age. And they were uh, crushed against each other, and uh, there was no way to fit even one more key on the ring. In other words, they are unable to be used to lock or unlock anything which means, of course, to bind or loose anything. You've been given this authority. If you're not using it, it will you'll be in trouble. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 and 19, I will give unto thee the keys, keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you believe it? And Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty four. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you've received them, and you shall have them. Do you believe you've received? If you don't, if you keep looking at self in the mirror instead of Jesus in the mirror, you're not believing the gospel. You're not going to have any progress. Repent and believe. So many Christians are not taking the keys that Jesus gave to them and using them. They're all still crushed together on their key ring, unusable. Amen. I asked Father to give me a word by faith at random to help us understand what this is about. And I received by random computer Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mm -hmm. And let it be the thing you think on, too right? The Word of Christ is the keys to the benefits of the kingdom. It must dwell in us richly in order for us to bind and loose. Amen? And Tiana Fire got this on 1231.22. Fear not, for I am with thee. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me through my husband, Samuel. And I felt the presence of God strongly. However, my flesh was fearful, uh, as I could feel parts of my old nature dying. It was being washed away, and the Holy Spirit was increasing inside of me. 
I feel sometimes my flesh fears dying to self, although the spirit and soul desire it, and the enemy knows he is defeated, and works with the flesh to grasp at every straw in order to survive. Yes, that's true. Romans 8 and 13 says, If you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. See, when we walk by faith, we get power from God to overcome. When we uh, believe what the devil tells us about what we aren't and what we can't be and how bad we are and look behind you, what did you do and all these things, you're just going to be cast down because you're not obeying. Right? I was really uh, just desiring to hold on to Jesus, and I was agreeing with the Spirit and not wanting to give in to the flesh's fear. Well, when we are faithful to receive the word of the Lord through his vessels and submit to it, our spiritual man is strengthened as it is washed clean from the filthiness of the old man. Uh, Samuel represents our spiritual husband, Jesus, right? And when we submit ourselves to the authority of his word, we bear his fruit in our lives. So, she went on to say, I then saw to my right Jesus' giant hand coming through the roof of our home and rest in front of mine indicating and uh, welcoming me to hold his hand. I put my hand where I saw his, and I felt an abundance of peace and comfort, knowing that he is always there and he won't let us go. He knows what I am experiencing and he will get me through it. He has already gone through it all for me. Yeah, Matthew 11 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And also, I'm thinking of John 16 and 33. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? If you let the devil beat you down and discourage you and all because you're looking at yourself in the mirror, well, it's your fault. You're not believing the gospel, the good news. He is patiently waiting for us also to grab his hand, she said, and I would say, and lean upon his strength. Amen. And she gives Isaiah 41 and 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Amen. Okay, Samuel fire. Got this, twelve eight twenty two. We called it deep water trials. Hmm, deep water trials. 
In prayer I heard the Father say, Declare my works and my word. Be alive in my word and live it with your whole heart. Await my blessings uh, in the journey towards me. Do not question whether or not they will come, but expect my blessings to come. Keep moving towards the goal in Christ and keep desiring to change into the image and character of my Son. I then had a vision of a person swimming alone in deep, open water late at night, and there was no moonlight. Well, swimming in water in the dark represents going through trials in our ignorance. Right? There's no light. These dark waters represent the curses of this world that we are buried under from birth. If the person stopped swimming, they would sink under the water and drown. Well, swimming or treading water, I believe, represents fighting to escape the curse of this world using the water of the Word so that we can overcome death and have the life of Christ. He went on to say, If you flee from crucifying the flesh, you will fall away from Jesus. However, the person gracefully, gently, and calmly kept swimming towards the land. In other words, cooperating with Jesus during the refining process, right? And I would say that Jesus is represented by the land, and he is the anchor for our souls through the rough, watery trials of life. And we must endure these trials to reach our promised land, who is Christ himself, abiding in him. The person rejected all thoughts and feelings of fear, panic, doubt, unbelief, and vain imaginations about what could happen to them. They instead stayed focused on their goal to get to the land. Well, the devil loves to remind us of all the monsters in the deep, and he tries to get us to be fearful so that he can prevent us from reaching our promised land. Um, they got through the trial by trusting in God's Word, he says, and by doing spiritual warfare and prayer. Amen. So when you do spiritual warfare, know you have authority to do that, even sending the angels against the demons, principalities, and powers, and uh, so on. The person didn't race or rush or burn themselves out, but they kept a steady pace, and they didn't stop at all. They eventually got to the land, and they couldn't be happier. Well, slow and steady wins the race, right? He said, I believe that the lesson of this vision is don't try to run ahead of God or do your own works but rest in the finished works of Christ and wait patiently for His promises to manifest. Yes, be patient with yourself. <laughs> be patient with the Word. You know, just keep plodding on, right? 
in Tiana Fire, 12-12-22, gave us this. We called it, He Drew Me Out of Deep Waters. Amen. I had a vision of myself submerged 55 yards deep underneath open water, far out in the ocean. Wow. Well, the number 55 could represent twofold grace, you know. Uh, below me, the water was so dark, and I could see that the only light was above the water. Well, that's just as in Samuel's revelation above, these waters represent the curses of this world and um, that we are buried under from birth. Um, and she said, darkness is separated and pushed away from the light. John 1 and 5. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not. Amen. Well, Jesus is the light, right? And his word enlightens us. John 12 and 35, Jesus therefore said unto them, Yet a little while is the light among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness overtake you not. And he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe on the light, that you may become sons of the light. You have to believe on the light to be sons of the light. What God has said about you is very important. He, is, he believes in the sacrifice of His Son, and it's a covering for you. I kept swimming and moving to get to the top where the light was. Uh, well, this uh, represents having a love and a desire for our Father and um, the Lord Jesus. I didn't want to fall any further down into the darkness, and I wanted to get to the top quickly so no creatures would find me. Hmm. This probably represents fighting to escape the curses of this world and the demons that take advantage of it. The curses represent the deep, dark waters. The waters are both blessing and cursing, as God told Moses. And when we're in the water, we swim towards the light, which is Jesus, the Word made flesh. And as we swim towards the light, we overcome the curse of sin and death to have the life of Christ. And um, she went on to say, we must uh, avoid the enemy and the grasp of the world. And I believe she's speaking here probably of the Creatures of the deep, right? Uh, the demons, so to speak, that hide in the darkness and work in the curse, right? First uh, Timothy two twenty six, and they may, and they may sober up from the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him unto that one's will. Hmm. I just wanted to get out of the water and get to the light. It seemed difficult and took much physical energy to finally swim to the top. 
Well, fighting our flesh nature to escape the curses of the world is a difficult trial. Um, she went on to say, nothing can be achieved by ourselves. We must rely completely on the Lord's strength. In Proverbs 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. And also Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things in him that strengtheneth me. Amen. Amen. When I got to the top, I took my first breath, and it was so wonderful to be able to breathe in the air. Well, taking in a breath is taking in the Spirit of God, because they are the same word in Scripture. Taking in the breath of life, she says, and being filled with His Holy Spirit. Amen. It was a big achievement to finally get out of the water, and I was happy to be able to rest and to be above the water. Well, representing a, a triumph in the, the victory of Christ. Amen. He's already he overcome the world for us. Amen. And we have to believe that. However, there was no land or boat in sight. There was literally nothing but water as far as I could see. There was no raft, literally nothing, that I could do to get out of this water. The open waters force us into the release of ourselves and our independence and to completely rely and believe in the God of our salvation, walking by faith and not by sight. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, where we walk through faith and not through sight. True. After writing up all this, I put it down, and then I had another vision. I saw myself deep under the open water again, but I saw Jesus as a giant, and he was looking at me from above the water into the light. He reached his hand to me and pulled me up to the top of the water, uh, representing his love and grace to save us. And she gives Matthew 14 and 31. And straightway Jesus stretched forth his hand and took hold of him and saith unto him, Thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Mm-hmm. I realized that in the previous vision, it wasn't me swimming to the top, but it was Jesus pulling me up. And I couldn't physically see him there before. Praise you, Lord, we can do nothing without you. Amen. But I might add, we can do all things through you. Amen. So, out in the open water, only God could pick us up with his hand and bring us up to him or only he can send other people as his hand to help and we are completely and totally reliant on him for everything including our breath and existence thank you our wonderful heavenly father for drawing us to you and setting us free 
and doing more for us than we could ever understand. Thank you for bringing us out of the darkness and into the light and for bringing us through all these trials. Thank you that you have carried us our whole life and you will continue to carry us into eternity. It's all you. Well, amen. And I'd like to share Second Samuel 22, um, 2 through 23. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, even mine. God my rock, in him will I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from violence. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. For the waves of death compassed me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The cords of Sheol were round about me. The snares of death came upon me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. Yea, I called unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came into his ears. In verse 17, He sent from on high, and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. <laughs> he delivered me from my strong enemy from them that hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They came upon me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. How do you get clean hands? Well, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You have to believe. Okay. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His ordinances were before me, and as for His statutes, I did not depart from them. Amen. Keep your eyes on His Word. Amen. And this was given to Vanessa Weeks, 11, 522. And uh, we called it, When We Rest in God, We Receive His Life. Yes, some people are struggling, struggling, struggling against their sin. They want to please God. And He tells you that the way is rest. And rest comes from faith. So Vanessa said, In a dream, my husband Barry and I, along with people of UBM, were living in a large old mansion with many rooms. In John fourteen two through 4 In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I come again and will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know the way. 
And of course, Jesus said, he is the way. Watch his footprints, right? <laughs> we were on the second floor of uh, the mansion, and I remember seeing a large chandelier hanging from the hall from the second floor ceiling, which was also uh, open to the first floor. Well, a chandelier has many crystal ornaments that refract the light uh, into the colors of the rainbow, and the rainbow symbolizes God's promise and faithfulness to mankind. Amen. And Barry said this. He said, This light could be seen from both floors. God gives light to people at each stage of their growth. Amen. Amen. Everything you need is in the Word, right? Isaiah 28, 9 and 10. Whom will He teach knowledge? Whom will He make to understand the message? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Well, let me point out. You, it is precept upon precept. You got to get the precept he gives you that you need for the next step, okay? And it's line upon line. You read one line before you read the next, right? So if you're not doing what you know to do now, how do you expect to go to the next step? Believe what God says. That's how you get there. His power comes through your faith. And also, I'd like to read Proverbs 4 and 18, But the path of the righteous is as the dawning light. It shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I only remember walking on the second floor, but I knew there were several small rooms on the first floor that were bedrooms. The front door led to the area under the chandelier, and then the bedrooms were just down the hall. Well, the front door, of course, is Jesus, according to the Word, through whom uh, all must enter to come into God's kingdom, right? John ten seven and through 9 says this, Jesus therefore said unto them, Again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Well, there's, these are these apostate leaders that lead people astray, you know. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and go out and find pasture. And the pasture represents the bedrooms where we find rest through Christ. Amen. So, Vanessa went on to say, I was walking around on the second floor looking for a bed for Zoe. And Barry said, Zoe is a Greek word for life. That's right. And only when we rest in God do we receive his life. I saw a bed across the way from where I was, and I grabbed a rope and, swing and swung over to the bed. It was hard to do, and I held on to the, the left bedpost with my left hand, 
and it broke, and I had to let go, let it go, or I would not make it on to the bed. This was hard because I was thinking it was the only way to get on the bed. Well, it's very easy to get on the bed, <laughs> but but she was pointing out trying in your own strength it was not going to get you there, right? Um, faith in the promises is the only way to enter the rest. Hebrews 4, 1 through 3 says this, Let us fear, therefore, lest happily a promise being left of entering into his rest. Notice that the promises get you into the rest, right? Corporately, they do. Any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good tidings preached unto us. You have to believe it. And even as also they, but the word of hearing did not profit them, because it was not united by faith with them that heard. There is the key. Put your faith, uh, add your faith to the promises, and you will see the victory. Amen. Um, For we who have believed do enter into that rest, even as he has said, As I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The works of God are already finished. We enter into those through faith. It's the only way into the rest. If you're struggling and striving and anxious and troubled, um, fighting against your sins, you must enter into the rest. That's where the answer is. You must believe the promises. But as I let it go, I had a renewed strength to hold on to the bed frame with my right hand uh, and swing myself over onto the bed. So we must let go of the things of the flesh and the world to have the rest and the life of God. It is not by our works. It's by God's works. And uh, she gives Zechariah 4 and 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice, it's not by your power, your might. Anything you could do, uh, anything you can look to do, but it's by God's Spirit. God's Spirit moves on your behalf when you believe and confess His promises. Jesus took away your sins. He took away your sicknesses. It's gone. Believe it. Then I was able to rest on the bed, and then I woke up. Oh, praise be to God. I thought of Ephesians three sixteen through 19. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that you may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inward man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Amen. To the end that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. So, uh, we want to have the breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ. And we apprehend this through His power, which comes to us when we enter into the rest, because we believe His promises, right? And that last verse there, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now, that sounds ludicrous to a lot of people because of their teaching and their their wrongful leaders that bring them discouragement. But this is a promise that God made in His Word, and He means it. Or he wouldn't have put it in his word. And Samuel fire, twelve twelve twenty two got this. The accuser always tries to remind us of our debts. Mm-hmm. That's true. He wants you to look behind you instead of looking forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ, right? I dreamt that we just moved to a dusty, hot, outback town and we had lots of broken wooden items under our carport to remove as rubbish, uh, representing getting rid of the wood, hay, and stubble of our lives. I probably would suggest that's true. The uh, trash of the flesh nature tries to crowd out the place of rest for our earthly vehicles or mobile tabernacles, uh, represented by the carport here. Right. So I called up a man who lived in the town that had a handyman service to remove it all. And when I spoke to him, he said that it wouldn't cost me anything to have him do it. Well, the ways of man are deceitful, and there's always a price to pay one way or another, as we will see. It's not a help from man that we're looking for. It's a help from God. And uh, thank you, Lord, for that. He came around and removed it all that same day. And uh, this probably represents relying on the ways of the world and man to clean ourselves up. But he goes on to say, the following week, I needed to get something else done through him, so I went to his building, and there were many other people lined up waiting for his services. Yep, that's where most people go, to man. And this is representing, he says, seeking worldly methods instead of God's methods. True, true. And uh, God's methods are of faith and rest in his promises that it has already been accomplished by Jesus at the cross. It's already done. Remember, Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received, and you shall have it. All things, he said, whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you have received, because we received it at the cross. If you're begging God, 
you're missing it. It's already been given. You start thanking God, right? So I waited in line for my turn, which took a long time. And then when it was my time to speak with him, I told him what I needed done, and he then told me that I had to pay him $230 from when he removed the things from our carport. (laughs) So with man, there's always a catch, he says, you know. You can't escape the curse. Man's methods only shift the curse from one area of our lives to another. Jeremiah seventeen five through 9 Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, like a tumbleweed, right? In the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. Look, good has come. Jesus has done it. What are you looking for? Believe you have received, right? A salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose trust the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out its roots by the river and shall not fear when heat cometh or drought cometh, right? But its leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly corrupt. Who can know it? Amen. I was really annoyed and frustrated because he had said that it was free before. And if I had known it would cost so much, I wouldn't have had him do it. Well, the devil always tells you, it's easy, just do this. To go go to this man, right? But the Lord wants us to go to him by faith. If you, if you uh, believe you have received everything you ask of him, Where else do you need to go? (laughs) Relying on man's methods is time-consuming, frustrating, and it drains us of our financial resources. But everything that comes from God is free, right? And we will ultimately regret what it costs, right? I felt that he had just made up this random number in payment so he could get extra money. I angrily told the man that I won't be able to pay until Wednesday, which was two days away. Okay, keep that in your mind. Wednesday is uh, named for the god Woden, who is paralleled with the Roman god Mercury, probably because both gods shared attributes of uh, eloquence, the ability to travel, uh, the guardianship of the dead, um, the wages of sin is death, we know. And when uh, we trust in the arm of the flesh, the curse of death is upon us, and we will ultimately pay with our lives. 
Yes, so many people have run to get the vaccines, and now they're so sorry they did because they trusted in man. And even men that everybody knows, or I should say most people know, are uh, people that want to cut down the population. Mm -hmm. So these are the people who are in charge, by the way, of the drugs and the medicine. So paying the debt two days away represents that 2,000 years ago Jesus paid our debt. Second Peter 3 and 8 says, But forget not this one thing, beloved, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So 2,000 years goes back to Jesus and what he did at the cross, right? And today it is fulfilled only when we accept it by faith. So we uh, pay what we need to pay on this end. And what is it? Faith in the promise that happened 2,000 years ago. If we do not accept his sacrifice, then the wages of sin is death. He said that won't work and that he needs it now or our electricity would be canceled. <laughs> uh, and uh, representing threats and attacks on our minds by the enemy to keep us in fear and reliance on the world's ways instead of God's ways. Yes. And we, we know that the enemy is a liar. Only when we walk by faith do we have any power. He can't take our power. Right? I replied to him that I would only be able to pay if God gives me the money for it, and he wants me to pay you. If God doesn't provide the money for it, then I know that you lied about me having to pay you this money. And then I woke up. <laughs> well, true. Satan will always try to remind us of our past debts and convince us that they are still owed. Yes, and you're very foolish if you listen to that. You still owe for your past debts. They've been thrown in the depths of the sea, right? And Anna Stewart got this on eleven eight twenty two. We called it Our Heavenly Husband Has Paid All Our Debts. Oh, yeah. Last night I dreamed that my husband, Matthew, and I were vacationing in Germany. Well, Matthew means gift of God and represents Jesus, who is God's gift to humanity to reconcile us back to him. And Anna went on to say, Germany is representing the roots of my flesh nature since that is half of my biological heritage. Hmm. So we must not give our flesh a vacation from its crucifixion, right? <laughs> uh, we were sitting in the lobby of a gift shop representing all the world has to offer. In front of us was a little display of leather, handcrafted purses, uh, and so on. Well, leather represents fleshly works because it is the clothing of a beast, right? And we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning we put on his works and not the works of the old man, the beast, right? 
Uh, and the purse represents storing up our mammon, which Jesus forbade us to do. So this is fleshly works too. Each purse was unique. Everyone has their own fleshly struggles, and none can think that they are better because they don't have someone else's problems, right? We've all got some problems, and we need to address them and overcome. The promises to overcomers. I picked up a small brown purse and admired how beautiful it was, and I don't think I was planning on buying it, but thought it would be harmless to look. There was no price tag. But it seemed we had been to this shop four years previously and that the purses cost $120 at that time. So I reasoned that they probably cost a little more than that now. Well, we must be careful not to fall into the trap of admiring the things of the world. It, it seems harmless initially, but it's a trap to draw us away from the kingdom and it comes at a high cost, as we will see. You know, if we if you don't want to buy, don't look because then your lusts come into play. You know, you got to have that, right? Well, Matthew began to show me something on his phone, but I don't know what it was. Uh, it was representing distractions, I believe. Well, again, Matthew, as a type of Jesus, wrote in Isaiah forty-five seven, "I uh, I form the light." Uh, and create darkness, I make peace, and create evil. I am the Lord that doeth all these things. God will allow the enemy, represented by the phone, to distract us and lead us into a temptation to indulge in our fleshly desires. In other words, um, don't look if you don't want to buy. This is what opens the door for the enemy in our lives, right? As I was watching his phone screen, I began to mindlessly start eating the purse, <laughs> uh, representing partaking of the flesh, right? It wasn't until he was done showing me whatever it was that I realized that I had eaten the whole purse, I was a little shocked at the realization of what I had done. Well, the enemy is sneaky and, and causes us to unwittingly err from God's ways. In the Old Testament, a person who sinned unintentionally had to provide their own sacrifice, as in Numbers fifteen, twenty-seven, and 28. And if a one person sinned unwittingly, then he shall offer a she-goat a year old, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for the soul that erreth when he sitteth unwittingly before the Lord to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. But in the New Testament, the Bible says in James 4 and 17, To him therefore that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So in the New Testament, believers have the blood covering of Jesus when they sin unintentionally. And he has already taken care of our debts. Some people don't believe this, and they get into a lot of trouble because the devil condemns them, condemns them, condemns them for something they did that was an accident, you know, to them. I went to the front counter and told the dark-haired woman behind the desk that uh, I had done what I had done, and at first she just said, 
well, don't worry about it. And when we fail, we need to get back to justification by faith. But I insisted that I was at fault and had to pay something. <laughs> Some people do that. They just be like, well, I got to get a weapon, you know. Well, this, this represents self-works because of condemnation. And then she changed her mind. I gave permission to the enemy by unbelief in the sacrifice of Jesus. She then told me that that purse cost $2,000. <laughs> well, Jesus paid our debt 2,000 years ago, she says, right? So we get into trouble when we try to pay our own debts for our sins because the devil is likely to oblige us, right? I was like, uh-oh, because I didn't have $2,000 and I was not in my home country. Well, we are sojourners in the earth and we'll never make it to our home country or our promised land as long as we uh, believe we need to pay our own way. So I fumbled through my purse and I only had $300. Well, we never have enough to pay our debt of sin. So uh, we should not accept condemnation, but trust in the Lord's salvation. We're justified by faith. We must hold on to the faith and not self-justification. I thought of the pure nard that Mary poured out on the feet of Jesus in preparation for his burial, being worth 300 silver coins. We already have the price paid by his death and his burial. And she went on, there were also a few bills that looked like gameplay money printed on only one side that were $2,000 bills. I wasn't sure how they got there or if they were real, so I decided not to try to use them. Well, there is no value in, in play money, and you can't buy forgiveness. He paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. It's as simple as that. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the good news of the gospel. I was trying to talk to different people to figure out what I could do, but no one could help me. Works for salvation, right? So at the end of the dream, we left the building, and my husband Matthew, representing Jesus, went and spoke to someone I didn't see, and we were absolved of the debt and freed to go. And then I woke up. <laughs> well, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for paying our debts that we couldn't pay. We are free. Amen. How awesome. Our God has set us free from this debt. Right? Be sure and forgive your fellow man, according to Matthew 18. Uh, if you don't, uh, he will take it back. You'll take that gift back, and you will owe a debt, and you will get a spanking. But uh, other than that, we know that he's already paid our debts. Uh, praise be to God. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Well, Michael Hare's going to come and share something with you, and um, God bless him, and God bless everybody that's listening. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Good night. Thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. So good to be back with you here on this brand new year that we've got. 
2023. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done in our lives, the things that you have uh, been to us. And uh, Lord, I thank you for anointing us today to get this little word across. It's uh, a, a new year, and I wanted to uh, exhort your brothers to get acquainted with your heavenly Father, and I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to do. Let's start out in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Spiritually speaking, there are only two families on the earth, the family of God, and then that's the family of Satan. And every person, regardless of their heritage or their background, belongs to one of those two families. And the question is, which family do you belong to? Who's your father, God or Satan? And the only way that you can be delivered out of the family of Satan is to be born into the family of God. John chapter 3 and 3, Colossians 1 and 13. You must receive Jesus as your Savior, repent, and be born again in order to belong to the family of God. You call God your Heavenly Father. And once you're born again, you begin to grow spiritually as you get to know your Heavenly Father. And the number one way you can become better acquainted with God the Father is through the Word of God. Smith Wigglesworth once said this. He said, I can't understand God by feelings. I understand God by what the Word says about Him. He's everything the Word says He is. You see, a lot of people want to get acquainted with the Father through experiences. And it's true, you can learn some things about God the Father through different experiences in life. But the number one way to get to know the Father is through His Word. In the Word, we find out about the Father's nature and how much He loves and cares for us. Well, what does the Word of God say about our Heavenly Father? In the Gospels, Jesus always presented God as a loving Father. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then John 16, 27 says, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. Now, it was, a, it was very difficult for the Jews to understand what Jesus was saying when he talked about a father of love, because they had only known God as a God of law and justice. But that's just one side of God. But Jesus was presenting the fatherhood side of God. He was presenting the very nature of the Father. For the Bible says God is love, John 4 16. Jesus revealed God as a loving Father who cares for every need that we have. Matthew 6, verse 8, and then verse 26 says this, Be not therefore like unto them, as the Gentiles, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into bars, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? If you'll notice, 
There is an utter tenderness in this picture of the father caring for his children. Because our Heavenly Father knows our needs and he desires to meet them before we even ask him for help. And because God is my father, I like to do what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 3 and 14 and 15. He says this, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I do, I like to get down on my knees and say, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That word family takes God out of that old harsh religious context and makes our relationship to the Father real and intimate. We are a part of Father's family. And that fact has nothing in the world to do with religion. Religion is really a harsh and cold thing. But Christianity is a relationship with a God who is a loving Father. A lot of Christians have a difficult time comprehending God as a Father who loves and cares for them. And often Christians have been uh, religiously taught to fear and to shrink from a God of justice. They have the idea that God is like a judge that sits up in heaven and looks and just looks for a chance to punish people the moment they make a mistake. But I'm telling you, he's the complete opposite. God is love. Thank God for the Father's love which Jesus came to reveal to us. In Matthew 6, Jesus says more about the father's care for his children, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, a lot of people have been religiously taught to read that last verse. said, all these things shall be taken away from you. They think that if they put God first, they won't ever have anything. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, the things that you need will be added to you as you seek first the kingdom of God. And that promise proves your father's love and care for you. Now, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. Where Jesus said, take therefore no thought for the morrow. And another translation says, be not anxious for tomorrow. Now this verse shows us that the father doesn't want his children full of worry and anxiety because he loves us and he wants to meet our every need. So have no worry or anxiety. Don't fret. And you can be sure of this one fact. As you trust God with your life, he will take a father's place and perform a father's part in your life. He is your father and he loves you and cares for you with an everlasting love in Jeremiah 31 and 3. Now in the book of John, Jesus shows the father's desire for intimate fellowship with his children. John fourteen twenty one and in verse 23. He that hath my commandments and keeps them he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if a man love me, 
He will keep my words and my father will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. That phrase, make our abode, means the father and Jesus will come and take up permanent residence in you as you obey God's word. And here's a revelation of the Heavenly Father's desire to have continual fellowship with you, his child. And if you'll notice, Jesus emphasized two points in John 14, 21, 23. He talked about our responsibility when he said we are to keep his commandments. Jesus summed up all his commandments in one when he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, John thirteen thirty four. Now, we don't need to be so concerned about obeying all the commandments of the Old Testament because the Bible says love is the fulfilling of the law in Romans 13 and 10. In other words, if you keep that one commandment and continually walk in love towards others, you will automatically fulfill every other commandment. And that second point Jesus emphasized was the Father's love. He that loves me shall be loved of my Father, John fourteen twenty one. The great Father God is a God of love. And his very love nature compels him to care for and provide for his children. Now think about natural parents. Most parents want the best for their children. And they know how to give their children good things. Well, the Bible asks the, the question, if natural parents know how to give good things to their children, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to his children? Matthew seven eleven. If ye, then being evil or natural, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Well, what are the good things the father wants to give to his children? If you got a need, it's a good thing to have your need met. For instance, if you were hurting, it would be a good thing to be healed, wouldn't it? The Bible says that healing is good. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Acts 10.38 Healing's a good thing. And your heavenly father delights to give you the good gift of healing as well as anything else you might need. Glory to God. And if that's difficult for any of you to accept out there, here's an important fact from the word of God that you need to know. We can enjoy the same relationship with the father God that Jesus did when Jesus walked on the earth. Now, let me prove that statement to you from Jesus' prayer to the Father in the book of John, John 17, 23. I in them, as believers, and thou in me, that thou may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, you need to get a hold of this fact. God the Father doesn't love Jesus any more than he loves you. And walking in the light of that one truth will make all the difference in the world on how you live your life. For instance, since the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus, then you never have to be afraid of life's problems, do you? Romans 8 and 31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? 
What can man do to a child of God whom the Father loves and protects? The Father was for his Son, Jesus, as he walked upon the earth, and he is for you too. Now let's look at an important statement Jesus made about his relationship with his Father. John sixteen thirty two. Behold, the hour comes, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Now here Jesus is telling his disciples, you're all going to leave, leave me, and you're going to be scattered. But even so, I am not alone. My Father is always with me. And if Jesus could say that, we can too, because the Father loves us just as he loved Jesus. And in the face of any test or trial, you can say this, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. If everyone forsakes me, I'm still not alone because my Father will never forsake me. He said that in the Word of God. Now, some people start feeling sorry for themselves if a few friends forsake them. They, get, they go over in the corner and they have a pity party and they think nobody loves me. But that's not true. People who think this way need to get acquainted with the Father through the Word. Their Heavenly Father loves them and He promises never to leave or forsake them. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8, Hebrews 13 and 5. When you get acquainted with the Father through His Word and begin to walk in the light of what you learn about Him, you won't need to have a pity party anymore. Your blue days are over because you'll know that you're not alone. That the Father is always with you, just as he was always with Jesus. So, therefore, you can always feel safe and secure in the God's love. Your Heavenly Father promised never to leave or forsake you. You're not alone. And if you're feeling afraid or overwhelmed by life's tests and trials, just get a hold of the finger of God and walk on. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, we've looked at several statements that Jesus made relative to the Father. And against the backdrop of these powerful statements about the Father's love, other scriptures take on a new light and become more real to us. For instance, let's take a look at a familiar scripture uh, in First Peter 5 and 7 in the Amplified Bible. It says this in verse 7, Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him for he who cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Now you ought to read that scripture as if your heavenly father is speaking directly to you because this is a message from the very heart of God to you. He wants you to put an end to worry, an end to doubt and fear in your life. Well, how do you get rid of worry, doubt, and fear? By doing what this scripture says. Cast all of your cares upon the Father. Abandon yourself to his love and care. And having done that, make sure you leave your burden with the Lord. When you have given your cares to the Father once and for all, don't pick them back up again. <clears throat> and God tells us something similar in the book of Philippians. Let's start out chapter 4, verse 6. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your request be made known unto God. It says, in nothing be anxious. God's not an unjust father. He loves us and wouldn't ask us to do something that we couldn't do. But what are we going to do if we can't work? <laughs> the rest of the verse tells us in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Well, think what a difference it would make in people's lives if they would walk in the light of these scriptures. Some people go many places trying every way except God's way to receive deliverance and victory. They might receive temporary help, but they won't experience permanent victory until they practice being doers of the word. You will only experience victory by refusing to worry and fret about your problems and care and instead take those cares to the Lord, lay them on the altar in prayer and thank him for the answer. Because your father loves you. He's interested in you. And if you'll make your request known to him and wait in his presence, he'll help you understand what to do and give you the answers to your problems. How much your heavenly father loves you. Wouldn't you like to know him a, a whole lot better? Well, take advantage of the access your father had provided through Jesus, Ephesians 2 and 18, and get acquainted with him through his word. Commune with him in prayer. Be sure to cast all your cares upon him. And as you come to know and experience for yourself the depth of the father's love for you, doubts and fears that have plagued you in the past will be dispelled. As the father loved Jesus, so he loves you. And because of the Father's great love for you, you're never alone. But refuse profane and old wise fable and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and in 15. Paul plainly said, godliness is profitable. Verse 8. If anything is profitable, it pays off. Well, thank God there is profit in serving God. Living for God is not detrimental to a successful life. Because it is profitable unto all things, it says in verse 8. And I think the Spirit of God knew that there would be those who would say, Well, yeah, serving God will pay off in the next life. We may not have much to show for it in this life. And in this life, we wander like a beggar through the heat and cold. But when it's all over, we get to the other side. It'll be different. There's a great day coming when we've left this veil of tears and sorrow. Well, thank God that there is a great day coming. But Paul said, godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. It says having promise. That's present tense. The life that now is means right now in this present world. There is a life that now is, and there is a life that is to come. 
But I'm more concerned right now about the life that now is, aren't we? I am about the life that is to come. Because the life that now is, is the life I'm living right now. And if you listen to some people, you get the impression that God only promises us success and victory in the next life. Their basic attitude about the Christian walk boils down to this. You can get saved in this life, all right, but after you're saved, that's about it. You've had it. You're left to the mercy of the devil. You're left to the mercy of the world. And you can't expect much in this life. But that's not what Paul said to Timothy. And he was a young minister. Paul said, yes, godliness has a promise of the life that is to come, but godliness is also profitable unto all things. Godliness is not just profitable to the spirit, but it is also profitable to the soul, the body, and in the material realm. Why? Because godliness is profitable unto all things, even in this present life, it says. There are at least four things that godliness ensures or guarantees. First, godliness ensures protection. And if you have property or anything of value, you protect it. We belong to God. We amount to something. We're so valuable to him. He gave his son to die for us, to redeem us. And we are precious to God. And he protects us. And I like the account of the woman with the issue of blood. Because for one thing, it shows that we're somebody to God. When the woman touched Jesus, he said, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. In Luke 8, 48. And Mark's account goes into a little more detail. But there's something I especially like about Luke's account along this line. Now, as Luke records the story, when Jesus stopped the procession going towards Jerry's house, he said, somebody touched me, Luke 8, 46. He, Jesus didn't say, nobody touched me. He said, somebody touched me. And until that woman touched Jesus, she was a nobody. But when she touched Jesus, she became a somebody. Let me explain what I mean when I say that. According to the book of Leviticus, This poor woman with the issue of blood was in the same category as a leper. She was unclean. A leper had to segregate himself from other people. If somebody got close to him, he had to cry out, Unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. A leper was a nobody. But bless God, Jesus said, Somebody touched me. He transformed that woman from a nobody to a somebody. And I want you to know you are a somebody too. You are somebody because you are a child of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, an equal heir. You're in the family of God. That's a somebody. We are the body of Christ and we are precious in the sight of God. That's what the Bible tells us. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul uses husbands and wives as an illustration of the Christ in the church. And we can see in this passage how valuable we are to God. Now, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And in verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. 
For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Paul makes this statement. He says, no man has ever yet hated his own body. In verse 29, in regard to the beautiful marriage relationship between a husband and wife. But there's a little bit more here, friends, and that I want to get over to you. We are the body of Christ. We're his body. A man's wife is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And as Paul points out, we're bone of Christ's bone and flesh of his flesh. Paul said that men were to nourish and cherish their wives. Then he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, Ephesians 5 and 32. In other words, we are precious to Jesus, and he nourishes and cherishes us. And if you have valuable pro uh, property, you're going to protect it, aren't you? You're not going to leave it out for the dogs to chew on. As a member of Christ's body, you are precious and valuable to Jesus. And he has promised to protect you as you serve him in this life. Folks, godliness guarantees protection for godliness is profitable unto all things. Read Psalms 91 and learn about that protection that's yours because of your covenant with God. Secondly, godliness ensures promotion. Consider what God did for Joseph because Joseph stayed true to God. Yeah, he was sold into captivity. Yeah, he was put into prison. But God blessed him even in Egypt. <clears throat> and ordinarily, a man will become bitter after spending years in prison. But because Joseph was faithful to God, God promoted him and made him prime minister of the greatest nation on earth in that day. Genesis 41. Did it pay to be faithful to God? Did God in this pay off? Did it pay to say no to his master's wife when she tried to seduce him? A thousand times, yeah. Joseph spent many years in prison. Most men would have given up on God by then, but remember this. God doesn't settle up his accounts every Saturday night. God doesn't pay off the first of every month or even the first of every year. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that someday payday is coming. Payday in God is coming. And preachers often use Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 as an evangelistic sermon. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But Paul wasn't writing to sinners. He was writing to Christians. He wrote that epistle to be read throughout all the churches of Galatia. <clears throat> Paul encouraged the Galatians not to faint, but to continue sowing into the kingdom of God. And he assured them that sooner or later, they would reap their reward. That would be the promotion for their work in the Lord. He says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. <clears throat> and the only way you can make it is to refuse to be weary in well-doing. And if you think you're just going to float through life on a flowery beds of ease, you've got another thought coming. God never promised you a life without trials. But he has promised you victory 
in the midst of the trials of life. John 16, 33. And as you're faithful to serve God, he will promote you. God always rewards faithfulness. But you're going to have to make the dedication and consecration to obey God. you got to make that choice. And you're going to have to have the intestinal fortitude to say, this is what God called me to do, and bless God, I'm going to do it. Go over or under, sink or swim, live or die. I'm going to obey God. You see, because you're an oddity to others when you walk by faith. And they're all walking by their sight and their, and their hearing. You're an oddity to people when you refuse to worry. You are an oddity to people when in the midst of obeying God and preaching that God will promote you, that you have to sell your automobile for junk and walk to your next meeting. You see, at every turn of the road, the devil's going to try to put up roadblocks in your path. He's going to try to put you to the test and see if you really believe God's word. The devil is the same accuser of the brethren he was in the book of Job. The devil accused Job in the presence of God. Yea, no wonder Job serves you, the devil said. Just look, everything is going smoothly for him. All his children are well. He's wealthy. Just take down that hedge and let me get to him. Then you'll see if he'll serve you. Satan's the God of this world, he says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. And you have to live in this world where Satan is God. The devil will accuse you. he try to tempt you on every level. He'll try to throw up every obstacle he can to keep you from living the victorious life God has planned for you. But if you'll believe the word and do what it says, you won't be afraid. Even in the midst of that trial you're going through. And I know that from my own experience. How Peter could lie down and sleep soundly when they were planning to kill him the next day. Peter didn't have any fear because he was trusting completely in God's power to deliver him. He was in faith. He was sleeping so soundly an angel had to smite him on the side to wake him up. Peter didn't even realize he was really awake until he was outside the prison. It says in Acts 12. Acts 12. And in the same way, the Lord has enabled me to lie down and sleep soundly even in the midst of the most adverse circumstances. I could sleep even when nothing seemed to be going right. And I was able to sleep in perfect peace because I knew that godliness is profitable. I knew if I would be faithful and not grow weary and well-doing, in due season I would reap. And I wanted to be ready to reap when the due season came, bless God. Yep, many times it would have been easy to become weary. It would have been easy to quit. Absolutely. That would have been the easy way at just to quit, give up, throw your hands up, and just walk out. My mind wanted to quit. My flesh wanted to quit. But something on the inside of me, which was the Word and the Holy Spirit, kept encouraging me to hold fast to my confession of faith. Be a man or woman of the word and of the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of adversity, declare that the word is true. Trials may come, but godliness is profitable. 
Just remain faithful to obey God, even when the going gets hard. And sooner or later, promotion day will come. Third, godliness ensures prosperity. Well, when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm talking about enjoying an abundant supply and good success in every area of life. For example, the Bible says that as long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God caused him to prosper, Second Chronicles 26 and 5. Furthermore, in the early days of Joshua's ministry, when he had to take the place of Moses as leader of the Israelites, think about trying to take Moses' place. Well, God told Joshua exactly how to prosper and be successful when he said in chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. <clears throat> Meditating on the word and acting on the word. That's the way to make your life prosperous. That's another way of saying that godliness is profitable unto all things. Paul made a similar statement to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 15. He says, Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. In other words, as you meditate on and practice the word of God, everyone will be able to see you prosper in every area of your life. The Bible teaches that godliness ensures perpetuity. That means God promises those who serve him a long life on this earth and eternal life with him. God said in Psalms 91, 14 and 16, Because he has set his love upon me, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. He said in Psalms 34, 12 and 13, What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. In the New Testament, Peter quotes that same psalm in 1 Peter 3 and 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Notice, there is always a connection between obedience or godliness and God's promise of a long life. We can see this again in God's promise to children who honor their parents in Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. You need to teach your children while they're small to honor their parents so they can live long, full lies. You see, the Bible says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Bible says we, we can believe God for long life here on earth. But the Bible also says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. Everlasting life is a long life, isn't it? 
And just because I leave this body doesn't mean the real me. My spirit man is dead. Man's spirit never dies. Jesus said, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John eleven twenty six. And of course, if Jesus tarries his coming, we'll depart from these bodies at physical death, but our spirit man will live on. And so will we ever be with the Lord. Everlasting life is perpetuity. Your loved ones who died in the Lord are not really dead. Their body is dead, but they just moved out of their earthly house into the Father's house. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, did the psalmist David say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord until I die? No, no, no. He said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He said, forever, perpetuity. That means forever and ever. Godliness means to live for God. It's profitable. It pays off in this life, in this, in the life to come. So be determined to live for God. And you'll find that as you do, your profiting will be apparent to all who observe your walk with God. You'll be surrounded by God's protection, overtaken by God's promotion, supplied with God's prosperity, and sustained by God's perpetuity. Who's who in hell? Folks, every human being on the earth is going to have to face eternity one day. When a person dies, he faces eternity. The righteous enter into life eternal. Matthew 25 and 46. And the right unrighteous are cast into hell or the lake of fire, Revelation 20 and 15. The lake of fire is the final dwelling place for the unrighteous, for those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 20 and 15. We should thank God for the revelation his word gives us concerning heaven, because those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and have been born again, we're going there one day. We're heaven bound if we're in Christ. The revelation concerning heaven, folks, is good news. But we should also thank God for the revelation his word gives us concerning hell as well. Those who don't know Jesus are not heaven bound. And we as Christians need to reach these people with the gospel and let them know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Because when people who are saved die and leave this world, they go to hell. That's the unsaved. The Bible gives us some detail about hell in the Gospel of Mark, too. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 44. And if thy hand cause thee to stumble, cut it off. It is good for thee to enter into the life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where, where there worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Well, we see here that hell is a place of unquenchable fire. Verse 43 says, if thy hand cause thee to stumble, cut it off. Well, we know, of course, this verse is not talking about cutting off your natural hand. It simply means there are some things in, 
in life that a person needs to cut off or give up. For instance, it would be better for a person to accept Jesus Christ and give up his life of sin and go to heaven than it would be for him to reject Jesus and hold on to his sin and go to hell where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And we also know that hell is a place of everlasting punishment, Matthew 25 and 46. And these shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In many places in the Bible, we can read about what hell is like, but the Bible also gives us some detail about the kinds of people who go there. Psalms chapter 9 and verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And if you'll notice, this verse says, The wicked shall be turned into hell. And most people would agree that there ought to be an eternal dwelling place for those who are wicked and mean. And there is. And I'm sorry to say that there have been many wicked and mean people that have left this earth whose eternal dwelling place is hell. The Bible says the wicked or the unredeemed go to hell. In Psalms 9 and 17. You see, unless a person is born again, whether he acts wickedly on this earth or not, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3 and 3. And so we know from the Bible that the wicked go to hell. But the rest of Psalms 9 17 says, and all the nations that forgot God. You see, you don't have to be wicked to miss heaven and go to hell. All you have to do is fail to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and forget Him. All you have to do is leave God out of your life. Just leave God out and neglect to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you'll go to hell just as quickly as the worst wretch that ever walked the streets of your city. On the other hand, by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, even the worst sinner can be born again and miss hell and make heaven his home. There's a book that lists people in the English-speaking world who have achieved a certain degree of prominence in the arts and sciences, in business and in the professions. But sometimes it's interesting to know Who's who in this life? But the Bible also gives us a who's who in hell, so to speak. For instance, it lists some of the unredeemed who will spend eternity in hell. Revelation 21 and 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This scripture gives us a list of the kinds of unsaved people who will go to hell. And we know that those who practice sin don't know the Lord. And the Bible says, without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, no man can see God, John 3 and 3. But a person need never go to hell if he will just do what the Bible says is accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Bible says those who accept Jesus Christ go to heaven or go into life eternal. 
but those who do not accept Jesus Christ will go into the eternal torments and punishment that's afforded them. So we can learn from the Bible about some of the kinds of people who go to hell. Let's go to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 23. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man, he also died and was buried. In hell, he, the rich man, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The rich man in this passage of scripture didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he was not rich toward God. He left God out of his life and didn't acknowledge him as the author of eternal life. And we read in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 21, that the rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and fair sumptuously every day, while that beggar, Lazarus, was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The Bible says Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, paradise, where he was comforted. But the rich man went to hell, where the Bible says he lift up his eyes, being in torments. So we know from the Bible that there are those people like this rich man who are tormented in hell today because they didn't acknowledge God in their lives. Then there's another kind of person who the Bible says will spend eternity in hell. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For the foolish, when they took their lamps, took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, there is a cry, Behold the bridegroom, come ye forth to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Peradventure there will not be enough for us and you. Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went away to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know not the day nor the hour. A lot of people have read this parable and tried to build a doctrine out of it. But you can't build a doctrine on a parable. Usually, in a parable, there's one main truth the Lord is trying to get over to us. And in this passage, is found in verse 10. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. The main truth the Lord wants us to get out of these verses is to be ready for heaven as our eternal destination. This passage of scripture is simply talking about being ready. Ready for what? Ready to meet the master. In this parable, there were ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The five foolish virgins 
weren't bad people. No, they were virgins. They were clean and wholesome. But they just weren't ready to meet the bridegroom. And the Bible says, He, the bridegroom, answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And we know that there are people in hell today who were good people, but who just weren't ready to meet the master. They never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then there are people in hell like the rich man in Luke chapter 16 who behaved wickedly and left God out of their lives. The Bible also says the fool will be cast into hell. Well, Father, I just praise you and I glorify you, Lord, and I thank you, Father, for being our Father, being our God. And I praise you and I ask, Father, that you uh, show the people out there that you do love them, that if they would just come to you and, and bow down to you and acknowledge you as their God, as their Father, loving Father, that you will do everything that you said in your word you would do. The promises are for us all. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for blessing the folks out there in this coming year with protection, provisions, uh, with healings and deliverances, all the things that you've promised it, Father. We just ask that in the name of Jesus. I declare and decree everyone listening right now to be healed, protected, provided for in the days to come. In Jesus' mighty name. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust. Seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, my Lord Jesus, oh Jesus, I trust in
trust in you.